0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part three of the first book of Samuel, chapters one through three. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. So we have Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the day when Eli El- Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Pinea, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. And although he loved Hannah, he would give Hannah only one portion because the Lord had closed her womb. She didn't have a lot of kids to feed, so he gives her one, and the other wife with all the kids gets more. Ugh. and her rival used to provoke her sorely and irritate her because the lord had closed her womb now that immediately reminded me of sarah and hagar in genesis it also reminded me of leah and rachel rachel couldn't get pregnant and leah was having all these kids and she was the first wife because the trick of the veil remember all that Panea had children but hannah had no children and her rival used to provoke her sorely and irritate hannah because the lord had closed hannah's womb now, what kind of spirit do you discern operating here? The Paniah spirit. In the Old Testament, we know a woman named Jezebel. And we say, she, there's a, I, I sense a Jezebel spirit here. She was that evil wife of King Ahab at the time of Elijah. You remember her. But what about the spirit of Paniah? What spirit do you discern operating in this woman? The spirit of Paniah is one of rejoicing in the misfortune of others rejoicing in the misfortune of others. Have you ever done that? In your deepest heart of hearts, have you ever been a little bit happy? Why are you all nervously laughing and moving in your chairs? Rejoicing at the misfortune of others. We're so human, aren't we? We're so human. That's the spirit of penaya Oh, that serves her right. He got his just rewards. Ah, they deserve that misfortune. Good, I'm glad they finally got theirs. All those people. Rejoicing in the misfortune of others, Unfortunately, many Christians are very, very good at this.: It's easy to have the spirit of Paniah, especially when the misfortune of others has a tendency to make us look better. But God says, "We must never rejoice in the iniquity or the misfortune of others." Proverbs 24: "Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles." Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. That's the spirit of Peniah, rejoicing at someone else's misfortune. So it went by year after year. And as often as they went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Year by year by year by year. And the commentators say this went on for 20 years. Infertility. And some in this room have struggled with infertility. Steve and I had secondary infertility. We have a six-year gap in the middle there where, where we experienced some infertility, and it's so painful. But we had two kids. And if that was all we ever had, we had two kids. But people who cannot have a baby, they know the deep grief of that. Some in here, no. Pregnancy test says no again. No, 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 we're not getting pregnant. No, we can't have a baby. It's infertility, and it's a very deep, 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 deep wound. So it went on year after year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept, and she would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not enough for you? Am I not better than ten sons? Would that help your heart, ladies? He's trying to comfort her. Am I not more you than ten sons. Remember when Ruth finally got pregnant and the women of the town said, oh, oh, Naomi, your daughter-in-law Ruth, who loves you, she's more to you than seven sons. Showing this great worth of a child. The greatest gift that God could possibly give is to let us co-create with him. We don't do it on our own. We do it with our husband and we do it with God. To bless her with life in her womb would be the greatest gift she could know. And this is why abortion is such a deception that the baby's not God's greatest gift for whatever reason. The greatest gift that God could give to let a woman know that she's a co-creator along with God would be to bless her life, her womb with life, to fill her tabernacle, to fill her temple with what it was created for, to bear life. Elknina, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Am I not worth more than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting at the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, which we don't always think about vows now, in our day and age. But a vow to them was a solemn promise to God. Let me be struck dead if I do not keep my vow to the Lord. And she vowed a vow to God. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look upon the affliction of thy maidservant, and remember me, and not forget thy maidservant, but will let me, will give to thy maidservant a son, then I, Lord, I will give him To the Lord all the days of my life. No razor will touch his head. She's making the Nazarite vow now from Numbers chapter 6, the same one Samson had no alcohol, no razor, no encounter with death. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. That's her vow. And as Hannah continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. He's standing there watching her. She doesn't know she's being watched, and he's looking at her mouth. And Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips were moving. And her voice was not heard. This is important. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunk woman. And Eli said to her, "'How long will you be drunken? Put away your wine.' But Hannah answered, "'Oh no, my Lord. I am a woman sorely troubled.' I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your maidservant as a base woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. How does Hannah describe her prayer? She's been pouring out her soul before the Lord. Sometimes people do this in Eucharistic Adoration. They go in there, and they weep, and they pour out their soul before the Lord. There's just him and them, and they're telling him everything from the depths of their soul, and they're crying, and their tears are dripping on the tile. All along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. When you pray, do you pour out your soul to the Lord, and do you tell him every single thing you're worried about? Do you give him every single anxiety? Do you tell him all your vexations? You say, what's a vexation? I looked it up. Something that causes annoyance or frustration or worry, he wants to know about it. And Eli sees, he sees her, but he doesn't hear her, but he hears her heart. Just as God hears our hearts when we pray. And Hannah cannot change her destination, her destiny alone. She can't have a baby all on her own. God needs to remember her in order for her to conceive because ladies, we are co-creators with our husbands and God. He allows us that privilege of imaging the Trinity with our husband and then bearing life to the world through a new person like the Holy Spirit of life and love. Now, Hannah has disenfranchised grief. Have you ever heard this term in psychology, disenfranchised grief? It is a grief for a loss that cannot be openly acknowledged, publicly mourned, or socially supported. Sometimes things are too embarrassing, too close to home, you're too ashamed that you can't speak it publicly, and you carry this grief in the depth of your heart that only you and the Lord know. And some of you are nodding, and you know what I'm talking about. It's called disenfranchised grief. And Hannah had it over her fertility. I have grief right now. My mom passed away on Saturday. And it's a grief I can share. And the body of Christ is going to come around us on Friday and Saturday and help us bury our mama and give her a great send off of a great celebration for a life well lived. But Hannah has disenfranchised grief. It's a grief that she can't share with anybody. It's not cool to talk about your infertility in the first century in Ramah. Oh, you're not being blessed by God. Oh, what did she do? God's not blessing her with a child. Oh, I see. So she carries that burden. I have a friend who has a son in prison, and it's a disenfranchised grief that she carries because she doesn't talk about it with a lot of people. She's ashamed that her son's in prison. He'll be there for many years. So I always ask her, how's your son in prison? And she'll talk to me about it. But she carries a lot of disenfranchised grief, all sorts of different things. Marital affairs, People carry a deep disenfranchised grief, they can't really share it publicly, it's not cool. You don't want to share it. Disenfranchised grief, any burden you carry that you can't share with others, and you can only share it with the Lord, and there's been some loss. People addicted to pornography have disenfranchised grief. You say, well, what did they lose? They lost their freedom, because now they're in bondage, and they can't break free, and it's not cool to talk about it with people. Raise your hand if you have a pornography addiction. I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? It's something you can't talk about. Hannah, in Hannah's day, this infertility was a great disenfranchised grief that she carried. But she says, I pour it out to the Lord. She told him all her anxiety, all her worries, all her fears, all her loss, all her grief, all the pain she couldn't share with anyone else even the people she lived with. And Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition which you have made to him. Remember, he didn't hear it. He just saw her lips moving, but he didn't hear it. And he says, Go in peace. Your petition has been granted. How does he know? Go in peace after 20 years of infertility? I've been here every year praying the same prayer. Go in peace? Did Eli know? Or was it more like James 2, where if you have a brother or sister, ill-clad and lack of daily food, and you say to them, Go in peace. Be warm, be filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what does that profit? Eli tells her, go in peace lady, go in peace. But what we must remember is that Eli is sitting as the high priest of Israel and he is sitting in a prophetic office. And so when he tells her to go in peace, he's the mouthpiece of the Lord. The high priest of Israel holds a prophetic office as Caiaphas did after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the whole city is buzzing and saying, oh my gosh, we got a problem. The chief priests and the Pharisees, the high priest, say, we got a problem. This guy is, the whole world's going to believe him. We got to stop this guy. And it was Caiaphas, the high priest in his prophetic office. He was high priest that year and he said, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people. So that the whole nation will not perish. He's speaking in the prophetic office of the high priest. And that's exactly right. One man would die for the whole nation and for the whole world. So the high priest in a prophetic office tells Hannah to go in peace. Her prayer has been granted. God has heard her prayer. Even though he did not. And Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel will grant your petition which you have made to him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman Hannah went her way and ate and her countenance was no longer sad now that's huge her whole countenance has changed now that the high priest said her prayer has been granted her whole countenance has changed she's happy she's eating she's full of joy and all along she had been pouring out grief and anxiety and vexation and now she's happy she's going to trust the lord she's going to trust the prophetic office of the high priest they rose early in the morning they worshipped before the lord she and her husband and then they went back to ramah and Elkanah knew Yadah. He knew her in the marital way. He knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her, like the Lord remembered Noah. The Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. God's greatest gift, a child, to be a co creator with God. And she called his name Samuel. God heard. I have asked of the Lord, and God has heard my prayer, she said. Samuel means God hears. God has heard. And the man, Elkanah, and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and abide there, how long? For ever. What? Now this cute little baby who she's nursing for the first year, for the second year, for the third year, she wants to nurse this kid till he's 90. Because the minute she weans him, she made a vow. She promised the Lord she would give him back to the temple in service of the Lord. She says, go on without me this year. Second year, go on without me this year. Third year, go on without me this year. Samuel may appear in the presence of the Lord and abide there forever. She vowed a vow. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do whatever seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Hannah, we have to hear and obey. Her husband, the head of the household, is telling her that. We have to. We have to do this. So the woman remained and nursed her son, and she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her, along with the three-year-old bull, an ephra, a flower, a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. And they slew the bull. And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman. I am the woman. Remember me? I'm the woman who was standing here. Remember, remember? I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I made to him in your presence. You witnessed it. You thought I was drunk. Remember me? Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. Here you go. I'm offering him back like I said I would as long as he lives he is lent to the Lord and they worship the Lord there now every mother has to lend her son or her daughter over to the Lord and every father has to lend his son or his daughter over to the Lord they're not ours God gives us the the chance of co-creating but God's the creator and God gives us the chance of, of co-redeeming by what we teach them and, and how how we live but God's the Redeemer so every child goes back to the Lord, right? The saying is that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Each and every creation is a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God, making us all sons and daughters of the king. We are his. Your kids are not your kids. They are his kids. And in that, we can take a lot of refuge and a lot of peace. They're his. They're his problem. You got them. (laughs) Hannah, Anna, Mary. Hannah, Anna, Mary. Hannah, Anna, Mary. I think I did three slides of that for emphasis here because now Hannah is going to pray a prayer. Hannah, then Anna, the derivative of Hannah, and then Mary. They're all, they all know this prayer. They know Hannah's prayer. Hannah prayed to the Lord. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside thee. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so profoundly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him we are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she who had many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy as from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Anna, who's named after Hannah, would have known Hannah's prayer, would have prayed. Hannah's prayer with little Mary in those three years she had her. And when Mary prays her Magnificat, when she has, she, the Immaculate Conception, conceives without sin, she will pray this magnificent prayer. It will be her prayer, but you see the skeleton bones of it are Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament. Hannah, Mary, and Anna. Now, my mom, who just passed away, her name is Mary Ann. And she's named after Mary, Virgin Mary, and Ann, her mother, And I was just thinking like the Lord is so good because I'm just thinking of my mom running into the temple of the Lord and just like not looking back and just running home to the true presence of God right now. And she's named after Mary and Anne. And we're studying these women today. And I just, uh, that was just a little wink-wink for me to say, Mom is home in the true presence of the Lord. Seeing him face-to-face as he really is. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And she was so pure in heart. Then Elkanah. That was one moment of grief. Now back to disenfranchised grief. Okay. Then elkanah went home to ramah and the boy ministered to the lord in the presence of eli the priest now the sons of eli were worthless men they had no regard for the lord so this little kid is living just think of this this little three-year-old kid who's just been weaned is living with eli and these two wicked men think of that they're wicked 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 the custom of the priests with the people was that any man offered sacrifice the priest servant would come and while the meat was boiling with the three fork, He would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. So they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Okay, so the priests who don't own any of the promised land and who don't get a paycheck, the people take care of them with their offerings, their first fruits, their sacrifices. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. Uh, or, or if not, I'll take it by force. Okay, so these wicked boys were taking the first portions, the fat. Oh, man, do you have ever grill a steak and there's that ring of fat and you could just, oh, man, that's, that's the good stuff. We don't eat it now because of Weight Watchers. But, but that's the good stuff. That's the first fruits. That's what these priests were taking. This is the sin of the young men. It was very great in the sight of the Lord. The men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, this little boy girded in a linen ephod. This is what Jesus wore at the Last Supper, a linen ephod. His mother used to make these little ephods, these little robes, and take it to him each year when they would go up. She kept making them a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. She'd go up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you children by the womb for the loan which she has lent back to the Lord. So because you were true to your vow and you gave us your firstborn son, may the Lord bless you. And the Lord allowed Hannah to keep co-creating and she went on to have five more kids three sons and two more daughters the lord blessed her and the boy samuel grew up in the presence of the lord and when eli was very old he heard that all what all his sons were doing you know they were taking the fat they were also laying with women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting which means they were desecrating this holy place of the lord by laying with prostitutes he's very upset with his sons and no my sons this is not a good report that i hear the people of the lord are spreading around that if a man sins against a man god will mediate for him but if a man sins against the lord who can intercede for him these are the priests that are supposed to be doing the intercession for the people and and they're not they're doing very wicked things and they wouldn't listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the lord to slay them Now the boy Samuel, he continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Where do we hear that? In Luke 2. We hear that Jesus, after Nazareth, he, Jesus, increased in wisdom, in stature and in favor with God and with man. It's the same thing said of Samuel. The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. And there came to the man of God, to Eli, the Lord said, I revealed myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh and I chose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then look with a greedy eye at my sacrifices my offerings which i commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves upon the choicest parts of every offering of the people of israel the lord god declares i promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever but now the lord declares far be it from me for those who honor me i will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed the lord is upset He's upset at the house of Eli. He's upset at the disobedience of his sons. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look upon with envious eyes on all the prosperity which shall be bestowed upon Israel. And there shall be an old man not from your house forever. The man whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep out of his eyes and grieve his heart and all the incense of your house House shall die by the sword of men. This prophecy has come to Eli. It's about his sons, Hophni and Phineas. They shall be a sign. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, one who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he will go in and out before the anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house. Eli shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread they shall say put me put me I pray in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread well these two sons of Eli are in trouble they have brought down a curse upon their father Eli's house a messenger has come to tell Eli about it this is a warning to priests back then and to priests now do I cater to the rich and powerful in my congregation do I preach to tickle the ears and gain friends or do I preach gospel truths? These priests were going the wrong direction. Am I part of any scandalous conduct? Will we will will monitor these songs in the next lesson. We'll see what happens to these guys. Question for us, how do I monitor my own grown sons? How do I monitor my own grown daughters? Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent visions. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down within the temple of the Lord where the ark was. And the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli. Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go lay down. So he went and laid down. He went and laid down, and the Lord God again said, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli. Here I am, you called? Well, I didn't call you, go lay down. Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord, yet he had it had been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, the highest degree of influence in the Bible, the third time he rose, he went to Eli, he said, here I am, you called? And Eli perceived that it was the Lord that was calling the boy. And therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went by and laid down in his own place. The Lord came and stood forth and called again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. His name, God hears, your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone that hears will tingle are your ears tingling are they ringing do you feel it on that day i will fulfill against eli all that i have spoken about his house from beginning to end and i tell eli that i'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming god and he did not restrain them therefore i swear to the house of eli that the iniquity of eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering so that question again how do i monitor my own sons How do I monitor my grown daughters? What does my house look like? How did God monitor his own firstborn children? He told them everything. He told them everything. He taught them everything. They had total everything. He gave them every good and perfect gift. And what did they do? They disobeyed God. They heard, but they did not obey. Even God's own kids. So don't feel so bad. Really, I'm serious. And they were banished not out of hate, but out of mercy, out of love. And they went off into exile, and they couldn't hear him. And they cried out to Lord, this guttural, crying out, this disenfranchised grief. Look at Adam, crying out to the Lord. Something had come between them and God, and now something had come between each other. They had freedom, and now they're in bondage. They need a kinsman redeemer, just like all of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you. We thank you for this lesson. We thank you for what you want to teach us. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to cry out to you all our anxieties, all our fears, all our souls, and then to trust you and to hear you and to obey you, and then to go and be your servants and say, here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. That was part three of the first book of Samuel, chapters one through three, on Seeking Truth, with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.